welcome to the Alliance Podcast, the collaboration of perspectives from today's kingdom-minded ministries. We trust you will be encouraged by today's topic. You can email us at the Alliance Podcast at hotmail.com. Also connect with us on Facebook. And now, the Alliance. Hey guys, I'm Anthony Portillo. And I'm Ken Boone. And this is the Alliance Podcast. On this episode of the podcast, we talk to a good friend of mine, Phil Drysdale. Phil resides in the UK where he teaches at a ministry school. He travels uh, stateside as well. You can check him out at phildrysdale.com. You can find him on Facebook, Phil Drysdale Ministries. Uh, Ken, you got to sit out for this one. I know you listened to it, but um, it's in your stead. We had our friend Kevin from the Bold Cup team, who happens to be a subscriber of Calvinism. And it's interesting, to say the least, when you put um, uh, a guy like Phil Drysdale in with the Calvinist by himself, and then you add me to the mix, and I'm probably uh, a little all over the place theologically. So, were you at least entertained listening? <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sure it... Uh will make for an enjoyable conversation for anybody that listens. And, uh, of course, the content that Phil brings out will uh, be worth the listen, nonetheless. Yeah, Phil's really a great guy. He's really easy to talk to. Um, a very approachable guy, too. Um, and and really has a heart for people. You can kind of hear it in his in the way he talks and, and just the message he carries. It's really um, awesome to see his heart. Uh, despite some of the more controversial things that he might put out there and discuss, he really does have a heart for for unity and to see people come to you know a true expression of faith. I think that people really enjoy the conversation. Sure. Well, guys, without further ado, Phil Drysdale, enjoy. Hey guys, Anthony Portillo here at the Alliance Podcast. I'm here with fellow Bold Cup of Coffee team member Kevin Seguin. And we are here today also with Phil Drysdale from the other side of the pond. Phil, thanks for joining us today. Kevin, thanks for helping me. So you can find Kevin at boldcupofcoffee.com. His articles and such are there. Kevin, why don't you tell everyone where you're from, a little background on you. Oh, geez. Uh, well, I'm um I'm Canadian, French Canadian, uh, but I speak English uh, pretty good. Um, I've been a pastor. I've been a youth leader. I've been all kinds of things in all kinds of places. Uh, now I'm kind of doing the writing thing, and uh, today I'm doing the podcasting thing. So we'll see kind of where that goes. <laughs> see if that's an, a new avenue of exploration for you, huh? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, Phil, thanks, man, for taking the time to, to talk to us today. It's really cool to, to have you on. So why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Okay, yeah, no worries. Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. It's an honor. Um, I looked through the list of people that were on, and I was like, wow, there's some great people that are on here. I'm not really sure why they want me. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, uh, I've i got a, quite a, a varied background. I, I started out as a pastor's kid. My dad was a pastor of um, the Baptist uh, church, and so we, we went through quite a few different Baptist churches um, growing up. Very charismatic, though. So in the UK, Baptist doesn't mean a set-in-stone thing like it would maybe more so to a lot of um, 
Americans. Um, so you can be a very charismatic Baptist, and that's not an odd thing. Um, and so, yep, grew up quite charismatic, but also Baptist, so very, quote-unquote, Bible-believing, uh, whatever that ever means. Um, came out of that and ended up in a Brethren Church, which I don't know uh, how familiar you guys are with the, the Brethren Church, but um, a very legalistic, um, very... Um, morally focused which isn't necessarily a bad thing <laughs> probably be okay to be a morally focused person but yeah very very legalistic kind of branch of, of the church um probably would be considered hyper calvinistic um again not necessarily bad but um, probably has some bad connotations to it i came out of that and i got heavily involved with the charismatic church uh, i uh, ended up uh, spending a few years out at bethel church in reading which i don't know if you guys are familiar with but it's uh, um, fairly well-known charismatic church I, I went through their school process um i had before, prior to that been running my own business in it um completely left that turned my back on and just walked away um and, and did this ministry school got heavily involved at bethel i worked there for a couple of years um on a volunteer basis um and so i did a lot of stuff with that and and during that time i started to write um and people started to based on my writings invite me to come to their churches or conferences and i started speaking um, fast track, you know, a couple of years later, and I was kind of doing maybe 400 meetings a year um, in hundreds, 150 churches a year. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, really ridiculous. Um, and I enjoyed it. But uh, if I'm honest with you guys, I don't like going to church. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Is that an okay thing to say? Um, church kind of just isn't my thing. Um, uh, as, as far as, uh, you know, small C church, if, if we can say that, you know, if just going to a meeting, having some announcements, you know, awkwardly avoiding people, um, singing some songs, listening to a sermon, and then trying to get out of there before you have any meaningful conversations with people. Um, <laughs> and so doing that for, for a living for uh, a few years was quite intense, but I, I kind of felt on my heart to kind of push people out of the rat race of just showing up to church every week, you know, uh, desperately waiting for Sunday and then hit Monday and they're desperately waiting for Sunday again as if nothing particularly happened. And, and there's something of refreshing that comes from going to church, which is great, but I want something more than just a day of refreshing. And so it was kind of the awkward thing of I have to be going into churches because that's where the people I want to reach are, but I don't particularly like going into churches. <laughs> um, so I did that for a while. I, I, I basically paused that about two years ago, and I haven't been traveling much for the last two years, haven't been writing much. I kind of took a bit of a hiatus, and I've only really started back up a couple of months ago, um, which is quite exciting. Um, I had a few different problems. Um, I went through a divorce a couple of years ago. Um, I've got quite severe injury with my wrist, which means I can't write as much. Um, and so just quite a few uh, unfortunate things all happened at once. And in some ways, awful, the worst time of my life, but in other ways, the best time of my life. I, I've never grown so much. I've never encountered God in such profound ways. And, uh, and actually, I feel like I've come out the other side of that, um, a much richer person for it. Um, so, yeah, and that's where I am right now. So what has that season done um, for you in terms of, like, ministry focus and all that? Has that been something that's kind of taken the back burner where it used to be, like, a forefront thing, and now you walk through that kind of season, and you're like, well, I've been through some stuff. I can kind of shelf that, or it can just be what it is. Do you, re do you, do you tend to reorganize your priorities when you go through stuff like that? It definitely causes you just to th um, reframe uh, – 
life. You know, there's um, a philosopher, a guy called Pete Rollins, he talks about um, when we encounter God and when we have encounters. And oftentimes Christians are looking for this encounter that they can go, oh, I had this encounter then. Um, but actually, sometimes when we have that encounter, what's significant about the encounter is not the thing itself, but actually that it reframes life. And so actually, it's not the experience itself, but it's the fact that all experience in your life is suddenly reframed. And actually, all experience in the future is not what it would be if you hadn't had that encounter. And I think for me, that's what I started to realize was I came out of that situation, and all of a sudden, the way I interacted with people, the way um, the people I wanted to interact with, the the things that drove me were just significantly different. And there's something about going through suffering that um, does a lot for one's empathy, does a lot for one's uh, desire to look in the eyes of another and see Jesus um, and, and to reach out to that person and to, and to pull them alongside uh, with you and, and to do life with them um, in a way that I probably wasn't doing as much. And so I'm certainly a lot more involved in a, in a pastoral capacity now. Um, I probably spend, I would say, about 80% of my time doing more pastoral stuff on the ground here in, uh, in my local kind of community here in England. Um, and so my online stuff, my writing, my Facebook, whatever it is, my podcast videos, that's, that's it's not taking the back burner, but I just, um, I personally get less excited about it. Um, I'd rather sit and face someone on a hospital bed that's just tried to commit suicide than put out a podcast for a couple of thousand people to listen to. Um, and there's not really uh, a way you can quantify one or the other. Um, it's just what my priorities have become, I guess, in some level. That's that's awesome. I really dig that. I think it's it's cool too because one of the things that I notice, um, and, and something like you see a lot because people look at Facebook or Instagram and they sort of see our highlight reels. And they assume that, you know, oh, well, this guy's doing this and this guy's doing that. So life must be great for him. You know, he must not right. worry about money when the bills come in. He's probably got an accountant that pays for that because he's trapped. And they're like, oh, he's probably got, you know, the, the what do they call it? Like the nuclear family, the wife, the kids, white picket right. fence and all that. And you're like, dude, you don't have a clue. <laughs> you don't have a clue. I'm a real guy with real problems. So I think it's I think it's refreshing in a sense to people when they see a guy who has the notoriety like that who's willing to be vulnerable enough to say like hey I had to walk through some stuff I think that's that's a testimony to the goodness of God in, in your life one and it shows people like that even the people they elevate have real issues <laughs> so absolutely yeah I yeah. think I, I think that's awesome. So now, yep. in this pastoral capacity, what uh, what does that look like? And are you on staff at a church, or are you just? Uh, no, not in no way am I officially kind of anything. I kind of try and avoid any responsibility in life. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's entirely a, a good thing. Um, something I might have to evaluate at some point. But I, I help run a ministry school here with our local church in uh, in Sale. Um, I, I guess. On some level, I could be considered on some form of leadership there. I, I, I help um, in, in different ways, but I, I do kind of avoid any kind of responsibility. Um, and typically, paychecks come with responsibility and come with a, on some level, expectation as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of shirk that as much as possible. Um, it's, it's honestly life. I've been kind of on this, this journey of just doing life and, and just kind of 
grafting as many people as I can into my family, whatever they look like. Um, and, and that is just such a variety. You know, you've got um, so much more opportunity in uh, doing that than in a constructed um, kind of boxed in organization of this is the rules. This is how we do. This is what um, getting together looks like when it suddenly becomes a lot more just, hey, I'm just going to do life a certain way and anyone's invited and we're going to be really real, really vulnerable. Um, it just creates a lot more opportunity for who can be involved, who can come along uh, for the journey, for the ride. Um, and so that's really what it looks like. It looks like me going to the gym and just being vulnerable and real and people opening up and, and actually developing uh, a kind of community feel at our gym where, um, honestly, people come and they hang out for like two hours. And uh, after like an hour and a half, they're like, crap, I better actually do some work, you know, um, because we've just been chatting about how life's going and people are telling me about their problems, their wives or whatever it is. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it looks like um, going into uh, Manchester, into the center of Manchester the city I'm, I'm in, and, uh, and hanging out in the in the gay precincts. There's like a kind of an area that is the hub for like all the gay nightclubs and bars and things like. Going into a bar and just hanging out and making friends and just chatting and having no agenda other than like, hey, I could use more friends and I'd love more people to love, and let's see where that goes. And and so when you're not attached to some sort of like organization, it just gives you freedom just to do life the way you want to do it. Um, and so I guess that's kind of what I mean when I, I say pastoral is not in a, um, in a fixed kind of, uh, organized way, but more in a just, Hey, I'm going to do life and, uh, and, and let people come alongside. And, and in that I'll probably end up pastoring people, uh, as far as we would consider, you know, like, taking care of people suffering with their, when they're suffering, rejoicing with them when they're rejoicing. Sure. Cool. Um, I'll kind of butt in for a sec. Um, just, just the whole I'm trying to phrase this without, without being like the angry, the angry Calvinist in the room, but <laughs> go for it. Like, the church that I that I ministered in for 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 three they had a horrible decade before I got there, um, and it was it was kind of like that's a whole other meeting. It was it was rough. Let's just leave it at that. Um, and so I mean I can I can resonate with with where you're coming from with God. I don't like going to church. I don't like, you know, the fake plastic smiles, the ceramic faces and that. But I mean, like, where would you like, does that still, if it's done well, I mean, does that still have a place in the Christian life? Cause I mean, like I'm, I'm listening to you. I, 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 I hear what you're saying completely. I agree with you probably um, when I was there three out of four Sundays uh, a month, uh, yep. I'm in a better church. I'm, I'm in a good church now. <laughs> I think I will only agree with you maybe once every two months now, which is good. <laughs> uh, but like, so like, where where would you land on say say like like Hebrews ten, right? Where where the author's like, don't forsake getting together as believers. Like, don't give that up. That's important. Sure. Like, where would you? Yeah. Um, I mean, well, I, I would say Hebrews ten. I mean, where does it say getting together in the way that we get together? Um, I, so for me, it's not about. Um, I. I 
I have no problem with getting together with believers. I love it. And to be honest with you, I'm an introvert, and I broke my introvertness a couple of years ago. And now I spend all my time with people. And every night again, I kind of pinch myself, and I'm like, am I still an introvert? And then once in a while, someone spends too much time with me, and I go, okay, no, I'm an introvert. I need to go and read a book or something. Um, but I love being around people. And I love being around people that are Christian. I love being around people that are not Christian. Um, and there's definitely something special about being around people that believe the same way that, that we do. Um, and, and even that's on a spectrum and a curve, right? I mean, we've got three of us here discussing, and we probably all have different beliefs on a, on a spectrum. Um, but there is something special about that. And, I, and it's not that that I dislike. I think what I dislike about it is a lot of the times the way we get together is um, propped up to support um, a way of life that isn't as healthy as it could be. And so for me, I want to see people walk in um, abundant life. I don't want them to see an abundant Sunday morning um, and then kind of drag their way through the um, the week like a zombie. You know, I want them to really um, experience that 24-7. So for me, uh, church is life. I spend my life around other people, um, and and many of them are Christian. And sometimes we go to a building and worship together and hear a sermon. But that's kind of incidental to I do life with other people. Um, and I think actually that's probably a much more um, honest model if we're going to say that the New Testament church model, whatever that is, obviously there's some ambiguity to that. But certainly history and tradition points to them doing something a lot more like that up until sort of 300 plus AD um, when it became more kind of institutionalized. Um, and so I, for me, and I'm not saying that's the only model, you know, you've got um, 110 different models. The beauty of when I went to, you know, um, 150 churches a year for three, four years in a row, um, I saw a lot of stuff. <laughs> like, you can't even imagine the things I have seen. You know, some things I needed bleach from my eyes. Other things make me so happy I couldn't contain it. Um, but I have seen a lot of models for church. And actually, the reason I'm here in Sale, Manchester, the church I have, is, is, is as soon as uh, I went through that divorce, um, I had an option really of do I go home and, and to my home country in Scotland and be with my family and have that support group or do I go to this church? And I have been to probably almost I would say about six, seven hundred churches at that point. Um, and there was no question in my mind that it was home to my family or this church. And that was how significant an impact this church had had on me just on visiting and speaking in their school or doing a conference or just I even flew over every sort of four or five months just to hang out with some of the people from this church. I would fly here and spend a weekend just hanging out. And, and I think that says a lot about the church as well, where they're relational and they get together on a Sunday as well. Um, and I don't know how often we, we try and manufacture it. We, we manufacture it with, Oh, let's make sure people have a home group and make sure they sign up for that. But even that kind of feels forced sometimes, you know? Um, and so it's like, well, how do I get people to start doing life and community? Well, how, how do we turn church into an everyday thing? Uh, and I'm not proposing everyone spends every evening of their waking day, you know, hanging out with other believers. I honestly couldn't think of much worse than that either, because as, as special as that is, being around unbelievers is, is awesome. You know, it's great. Um, uh, you can have all the fun, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was said in jest partially. <laughs> okay, I agree with you. So, so hopefully that that eases your uh, your concerns. <laughs> you're, you're yeah, no, it's just it, it, it's the wording, right? It's it kind of comes across like, you know, like I don't like church. Church is 
the worst because of all these things. And, and like the problems that you're describing are absolutely, absolutely mm-hmm. like they're there. Um, I've fought them for, I still fight them. Like it's, it's abs- like church is not, church is not these four walls in this time slot. It's, it's everything that you do. And just, this is just a small part of that. But I know for me, like I, I don't work like my, 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 my day job isn't in ministry. Uh, I actually work in a coffee shop, so I see the best and the worst of people, uh, sometimes back to back. Um, <laughs> and then, um, so, but for me at the end of the week, I need, I need to get in and I need to sing some of those horrible repetitive songs Is <laughs> it at, on, 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 on some level, it, it, the some of those songs can be, uh, on some level that, you know, my, my, my cold, dark Calvinistic heart, you know, hates to admit exists. It, 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 it reminds me, you know, of, of, of who God is and, and, you know, that he's there and it's, you know, and yeah, I'm toiling away in this, in this gig, but it's, uh, it, it refreshes me to even to be around those guys. I, like my church is, is great. I mean, we, we did the same thing when I, when I got out of ministry, um, we had, we decided to move home because that's where all of our, our all of our kids grand grandparents live in this city. So we said, well, let's just go home. My my, my wife was pregnant with our third, um, so we came back and said, let's let's find a, let's find a church. And we don't just want to go back to the church we've we've always been in. We want to mm. find a place we can plug into and be a part of and serve and do all that stuff. Um, and after three months, we ended up at the church that I mean the, the church that I got saved in, the church that we dated in, all of that stuff. That's just where we kind of we said, you know what. We, there's a lot of good churches in town, but this is the one that, that, you know, we love the people, the people love us and, and we can just jump in and start running. So yeah. it's, it's weird. Cause I mean, like you're right. The church has issues and a lot of people who just come on Sundays need to, you know, really grab hold of the idea that, um, church is more than just this hour a week. Right. Uh, um, a Sunday it dragged me down for a whole other weeks I haven't had that kind of that big top up that you know that you just can't do by yourself what sure yeah. or it's harder to do by yourself I would say uh, yeah, I don't know I don't know like it's there's something about sometimes I stop singing like sometimes I just I stop singing and I hear the people of God singing in one voice and I hear the good singers to my left and they hear the horrible singers three rows behind me. Cause that's where they sit, you know? And it's, it's like, I need, like, maybe it's just a me thing, but like, I need to be there. I need to kind of sure. like, it's, it's something I can't, I can't get it on my own, I, but yeah. I'm extra, right. I'm, I'm, I'm not the introvert. So I, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. No, absolutely. It's, it's, it's very good. I, I tend to ag- agree with both of you in a strange way <laughs> from from different perspectives. I lead a church and and we're a pretty small church, so we're our ultimate goal is always to empower people. When I travel and preach and stuff, that's always what I want to do is empower people to like like Phil said to live that abundant life. Um at the same time apart from being involved in the community, like I'm not singing uh, Hillsong songs while I'm um, like walking around. Like I don't even have Hillsong on my iPod because I detest Christian music, right? <laughs> so like I have friends that are like 
I have friends that are like, I only listen to Christian music. I'm like, I'm sorry. Maybe I need to get delivered from something because I can't listen to that stuff. It's just fake and it's not, and it's not real and there's no, you know, reality to it. And I think that it, it sort of speaks to what Phil touched on, right? Like, so we have, like, we're in the suburbs, right? We came from, my wife and I met and, and started a ministry at a, a big mega church, right? Like a thousand people. And, you know, everybody's like, how you doing? Oh, God is good. It's very square and plastic, right? Well, for two years now, every other Tuesday, I'm in the worst neighborhood of Philadelphia preaching to guys who have been sober from anywhere from a, an hour to like a year in this program. And it's some of the realest stuff I've ever seen. And I've seen God move so powerfully. And I feel like I fit in so much better sitting with those guys and being able to be like, you know what, dude, I might be standing in front of here in front of you telling you who God is, but I'm grateful that he's him because if it, he wasn't him, I'd be sitting where you're sitting. We're like in, in the church. It's like, you know, if you, if you have a problem, sometimes people are like, oh, we need to get a prayer team, start breaking generational curses. And, you know, your your mom might have had, like, might have had a Ouija board in her closet and it might have just screwed you up for good, you know? <laughs> so it's like, it's very, like, <clears throat> fake and, <clears throat> it's very, like, fake and super spiritual. You know what I mean? It's like, can't you just be a real person? Can't you just say, like, hey, I go through crap and crap happens? Like, what's the gospel for if not to say, like, hey, I'm jacked up and I need God's grace to keep me from walking down some jacked up road, right? Absolutely. But at the same yeah. time, if I don't have my church community, I'm a freaking mess. So it's like, yeah. I think I think that stuff kind of goes hand in hand. It is something that's hard to have by yourself. And it's even harder to maintain by yourself, you know, Absolutely. disconnected from, from community. But I do think that it speaks to like an issue in the church. You've been around, I mean, seven hundred churches, and and I'm sure you've seen it. I'm, I'm sure you've seen it all, right? And you said you've seen some crazy things. But but what do you see, like? Let me ask you this: What do you see if you could pinpoint something like specifically that you would change from what you've seen? What would it be? Oh man. This is a best question. That's ever. a huge one, you know. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, is pick one, you know. Let's just start. Um, but uh, I think for me, uh, if, if we're going to look at maybe um, our beliefs, you know, I think ultimately our beliefs are just the linchpin of how we do life. You know, how you believe is ultimately how you're going to walk out life and act towards others, your family, your situation, yourself, um, and God. Ultimately, um, I, I think. There's two primary beliefs that for me have become non-negotiable um, and have redefined everything for me um, in those four areas, how I, how I interact with myself, with God, with others, and into my circumstances. And that is God is good. Any area he doesn't look good, I'm wrong. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he, he is good. And so I, I need to, to reevaluate how I am seeing God, whatever that looks like. You know, if, if God doesn't look like Jesus in that situation – I'm worshiping something else here. <laughs> it's not Jesus. Um, and it's certainly not what Jesus called Father. Father looks like Jesus. But also, I think another element, and, and this one has been kind of what I, uh, that's probably what I'm moving towards, kind of really pushing right now, um, is kind of helping people reconcile how can God be good when he is like this or when we have this in the world or when we've got that in the world. Um, but I think one of the things I've kind of really been focused on in the last sort of five, six years was that we are good. 
Um, you know, this might be where we where we divide here uh, with uh, with maybe some of the uh, total depravity stuff. But um, I think inherently human beings are good and human beings are, are are great. They're made in God's image and and they are made to reflect the beauty and splendor and the full range of emotion and 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 also the fruits of God. These the fruits of the spirit, whether um, the spirit or not is within them. They they at least desire to produce that fruit. You know, you're not going to meet a person on the street that doesn't want to be a loving father, that doesn't want to be kind, that doesn't want to be compassionate. Um, now, the. The big thing is, okay, well, is that where everyone is at? Probably not. Um, and are people capable of that? Well, we all know that's probably <laughs> pretty clear that no, that everyone isn't capable of that, at least where they are right now. Um, but I think a, a fun- fundamental thing that shifts that is our belief. And so I think we get hung up on pre-Christ um, so much so that we forget there's a next step of the chapter, you know. So you look at maybe like the fallacy of Romans uh, 3.23, all have fallen sin, uh, fallen short of the glory of God because they've sinned, right? So all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we love that passage, right? We crochet it on pillows, we stick it on fridge magnets, we, we quote it, we put it on tracks and put it through people's doors. And that's great. But we forget that it's half a sentence. It's not even the full sentence. And the full sentence is all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And have been freely justified by Christ, but like <laughs> that's a that's a big bit to leave out when we're quoting this passage, you know. And so, um, and there's more context again when we expand even further out through three and through the rest of Romans. There's more and more and more uh, context in that, obviously. Um, but and I don't mean to proof text something to make a point, but but I'm just kind of saying, you know, like how often do we fixate on the first part without actually recognizing, oh, there is something that Jesus has done that has shifted everything. Um, and so we see that when we look at ourselves, like I, I am no longer fallen short from God. I am no longer sinful. I actually have been made righteous and I am with God. In fact, he's in me. He cannot leave me or forsake me. There's, there's no option for God to not be here now with me. And he doesn't reside in crap. You know, you look at the, the specifications for the temple were specific to an obscene degree. I mean, you ask people in a desert to build a temple and use for the walls dolphin skin. I mean, Talk about specific and anal. I mean, like, where are they going to get dolphin skin in this desert? Um, you know, so God had some high standards here. And he's not changing his standards when he starts to reside in humans. Um, and so, yeah, you, you know, you're going to think about that and go back and check. But it's there, dolphin skin. At least some of the translations, you can uh, decide how you want to translate it. But nonetheless, his, his requirements for what he resides in are pretty extreme. And his requirements haven't lessened. Jesus doesn't lessen the standard. Jesus just changes us to meet the standard. Um, and so for me, I think it's really important that the church rises up and we stop putting ourselves down or look at me, the lowly worm, the piece of crap. But actually we go, when has that ever made a father look good? When has the father ever stood in the bleachers looking at his son and going, look at my son. He sucks. He can't hit the ball at all. That's right. I'm better than my son. I can hit the ball every time. Or have you ever gone to your... Um, you know, parent-teacher night, and the parents, uh, the teacher's like, well, your daughter, she's really crap at mass. She's not very good at English. We tried to teach her French. She can't do that either. Um, she's crap at drawing. She can't really do anything very well. In fact, she's nowhere near as good as you. And you go away thinking, that's right. I'm awesome. 
You don't, right? I mean, you, you feel awesome when your children look awesome. Why? Because they're made in your image. You go, yeah, that's right. You know, when your son hits a home run, you go, that's right. That's my son. That's what the parents yelling in the bleachers. And, and I feel like God is um, desperately hoping and, and, and desiring for his people to stand up and go, have you seen how incredible God has made us? Have you seen how amazing we are in Christ? And I, and I think that's a big message for the church. Um, yeah, I, I really long to, to see that come about. Um, I don't know if we just lost uh, Cam Dibby. Yeah. No, no. no. Oh, you're I, here. I just cut the video. Okay, no worries. Um, so, but that that would be one thing. But the, the other element, which I guess I'm moving into more now, is is that we see God as good. And I think this is more of a subtle one. So that one's quite obvious. A lot of people just really do nail their clothes to the mass and go, no, we're not good. You know, we are terrible. And it's only by the grace of God that we somehow kind of drag our heels through life to get to heaven and become good then. Um, and, and we're becoming a bit more good as time goes on. You know, by his grace, we're, we're cleaning up a bit. But... Um, whatever, but but this one's more subtle when we say, well, God is good, because everyone says God is good, right? I mean, that's our mantra. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But if we're honest, we really struggle with that. And, it, and I've not met many Christians if you say, God is good. Uh, let me take you through a picture. Imagine you're one of the Israelites. You've come out of uh, the, the, the wilderness, and you've come into the promised land, and God said, I've given you this promised land. And your ancestors spent the last 400 years in slavery, and you're really excited about this promised land, milk and honey. And he says to you, okay, you're, you're a guy, okay? So you are going to be on the forefront of going into this promised land, and I want you to wipe out every man, woman, and child, okay? Because so, I'm giving you the land, so no one will suffer casualties. It's going to be great. You're going to get free houses. You're going to get crops that are already grown. It's going to be awesome, you know? So you go out there, and you fight the battle, and you're killing off all these guys, and no one around you is dropping dead. Like, all your buddies are, you know, fine. You've not even got a scratch on you, and you're like, this is awesome. God is on our side. Amazing. Um, and then you go into the town, you know, you go into the city, uh, and you're like, all right, sweet, get to pick up my house, right? So you walk into the house, maybe a nice three beds, you know, two bath, and you're checking out, oh, master bedroom's really nice. This is lovely. Uh, wish I had a pool. You know, it's quite hot over here in Kano, but it's fine. It'll, <laughs> it'll do. And so you check it out, and you go into the back bedroom, and in the back bedroom is a 15-year-old girl who's pregnant, and there's a three-year-old sitting on the bed with her. What do you do? And so usually if I tell that story in a church or something, you can hear pin drops, you know, because everyone is feeling what? Sick to their stomach because they know the answer and they don't like it. They don't like it. But what's the answer? You pick up your sword and you go and stab that woman that's pregnant. And you then you go and lop off the head of the child because that's what God asked you to do. I want you to kill every man, woman, and child. And, and so that for me is like, Oh, how is God good in this instance? And and the truth is, if I said to you, okay, you're in that room, you walk into the room, and the, the woman's there, this young girl, pregnant, three-year-old boy sitting on the bed, and you go in and you pick up your swords, and Jesus walks in the room through another door. What does Jesus do? Is Jesus screaming in the corner going, yeah, kill them! Is he? Because God's doing that, but Jesus isn't? Or, you know, and so all of a sudden, I think we start to realize if we're really going to be honest with ourselves, we believe God is good, but we have some significant issues with how we engage with God throughout the scriptures that maybe highlight we're not so sure how good he is. And and, and on some level, this this is where we get a lot of our wacky theology, where we love Jesus, we, we, we delight, it's the Holy Spirit's in us, but we're kind of a little nervous about the Father. 
because he's the he's the kind of badass in the equation, right? He's the badass one that wants to kill us all, but Jesus was like, hold on, God, I'll come and you can just wail on me for three hours instead. How about that? Um, you know, and I'm kind of that's obviously a very caricatured version of penal substitution. Um, but you know, again, we we have these elements of we we often really struggle to truly believe God is good, and and if we're gonna struggle to believe God is good, if you're gonna look like your father, what does your father look like? Is he violent? Does he solve his issues with violence? Is he um, kind of schizophrenic? Is sometimes he good and loving and gracious and kind, but other times he's merciless, uh, uh, merciless and he loses. Uh, he, he just loses it. He gets angry. He's, he has this righteous indignation, and he'll smite you and knock you out. You know, and he'll zap you for touching an ark. You know, or whatever it is. You know that um, God does at times. So yeah. So I guess those are the two things I, I personally am kind of on a vendetta against. Uh, I really want us to understand that God is good regardless of how hard that is to grapple with and so are we and that sometimes is really hard to grapple with as well because we look at ourselves in the mirror every day and rethink how our day went okay um i got i got i got a really quick uh yes or no question just real real quick and then how how you answer that uh we'll 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 kind of define what the next one is um do you have kids i don't know okay Good. That's the answer I was hoping for. <laughs> um, I do, so I might have a different answer. <laughs> okay. Well, let me. You can you can vouch for me, or you can disagree with me uh, okay. in a minute. Um, see, I, I think four or five years ago, I I, I would have been right on board with you, and then and then I got married, and then I had kids, and and I mean, I don't teach my kids to be selfish. I don't teach my kids to be violent. But if I let the older two in the backyard, ultimately someone's going to hit somebody in the head with a baseball bat. Uh, thankfully, it's made of foam, so nobody gets hurt. But, I mean, this idea that intrinsically humans are good, to me at least, like it, 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 it undermines the necessity of the gospel. Like it undermines the necessity of, of Christ coming down, paying the sacrifice, and then, like giving that to us freely like that's like you're you're talking about cana and how uh, how violent the old testament is and you're right and you're talking about you know you could have done that in the room that i'm in like absolutely it's not it's not a comfortable idea it's not a comfortable image seeing that seeing that picture um but i i think it's stranger is because in in a sense you kind of glossed over man woman it's a, like all of a sudden now it's it's harder to wrestle with it it really isn't like it's just as hard to deal with that um in the big it is kind of in the little bedroom um me so so i i don't know i guess i guess like this idea of to me of of, of humans being intrinsically good i guess it, it takes away from the beauty of, of the gospel and the beauty of the sacrifice that jesus um took on himself like it's not and this is where, where some some people who who are aren't christians come at us and say well you know uh, god's an abusive father who who beats up his kid and does it for you know these adopted stepkids and no, because Jesus did it willingly, and that's the whole point. Jesus, in his perfection, who actually is good, decided, no, I'm going to pay the penalty. I'm going to pay the price for it, and I'm going to give it to them. 
and that's credited. That's that, that that's why you know. I mean, in, in going on to like verse twenty five in Romans three, it's credited to us as righteousness, given to us as righteousness. So I mean, I think, I think, and and I, I have to I have to be honest. I I, I read some of your stuff last night, Phil. <laughs> Just gotta get some notes. Um, and like I agree with you after conversion. Like after conversion, I agree with you a hundred and ten percent. Like, um we become good people. We get the righteousness of Christ. And at that point, yeah, but, but before, before that gift is accepted, I mean, we're like, we're not good people. Like my, my son, he's playing near the room. I love him to death. He's not a good person. He's a selfish little jerk. A lot of the times, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't change how much I love him at all. But I mean, I, every once in a while he'll, he'll give a goldfish to his brother, but he'll keep 45 of them to himself. So it's, it's, sure. you know, that kind of, to me, that underlines kind of how selfish and, and not good we are to one another. Me and my, my wife are frequently not good to each other. Uh, you know, we're, we, we put ourselves in front of, in front of, like I put myself in front of what she wants. She puts herself in front of what I need. Um, and it, it, that's, that's vice versa. It just kind of, it undermines that whole, we're all good. We're all good. Like, we're not. And that's when she's yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I, I have to be honest. I lost you for like a, a little chunk at the beginning there. You broke up a little bit. Um, so uh, hopefully, I mean, I, I got most of that. So hopefully, I'm, I'm not um, missing any element of that when I when I respond. But I think I agree. I agree with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it depends on um, how we're defining uh, what is good and what is um, what what is humanity. What it, what it is to be human. And I think. For me, it comes down to um, this opportunity we have to walk. We have an opportunity to walk with God, and we have an opportunity to walk in our own uh, way. And ultimately, this is what the the, the Genesis uh, uh, creation narrative is all about, really, isn't it? Is we have this God who walks with Adam and Eve in the day, um, but they chose instead of going His way and walking with God, they chose to go their own way. And actually. Um, What's interesting is that we see this again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, right? We see people, God come alongside going, hey, follow me. These are the way I, I would love you to go. I'll, I'll be your God. You be my people. And people go, yeah, okay, yeah, that's fine. But then they eventually go, actually, we'd rather do it this way or that way. And what's interesting is a lot of the times the we'd rather do it this way is not necessarily a quote-unquote bad thing, right? Which is what is quite funny because a lot of atheists really struggle because God seems so against certain things that aren't necessarily bad. It's just that people chose it. And it wasn't his right, perfect idea and, and way for them. Um, and, and again, we see this in the New Testament. We, you know, Paul talks consistently about walking in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh. And, and I think that's a lot less about talking about the flesh is bad. But I think it's, it's about a dividing of will you walk with God or will you walk on your own? Um, and so for me, I think our desires are our, our, our created being is one that wants to be good, that desires to be good, that often fills it in the wrong way. Um, much like, you know, um, I think you had John on recently, John Crowder, who talks about hedonism. And, and you know, we're, we're all hedonists. We all search for pleasure. And we often attribute that as a bad thing. But that's actually not. That's just human desire. What's bad is where will you find that pleasure? Will you find it in God or will you yeah. find it in something else? And I think for me that's it is, is how will you live life? Will you find it? Will you walk it with God in the spirit or will you walk it on your own? And I think as Christians, obviously, we have this uh, tremendous adva advantage of walking with God. 
Um, so our desire to be good, our desire to live life well, um, we've got this unfair home advantage where we go, oh, well, it's no longer me that lives, it's Christ in me. Um, those that uh, don't engage with uh, Jesus, that don't understand God, that haven't um, accepted his acceptance, that haven't embraced his forgiveness, um, they're going to have a much harder time to do that because they're going their own way, right? They, they want to live in their own way, their own um, desires. And that desire isn't necessarily a bad thing, but what it's going to lead you to is if you're not fulfilling it in Christ and in his uh, steps, you're going to find a, a, a very unhealthy way. And so that's why, you know, you might have your kids have this real desire for justice. But the only way I can figure out right now is bonking my brother on the head with a bat. Um, whereas if I was trying to fulfill that justice with Jesus right now, he'd probably go, hey, let's you know turn the other cheek or let's try this or let's try that. Um, and so the desire isn't necessarily wrong. It's just a, I don't know how to do this on my own. And in my best efforts, I'm probably going to make a lot of messes. Um, and we still do that, right? And so this is for me, the challenge is it's really easy for me to go, well, I'm a Christian, so I've got Christ in me, so it's not a problem. Yeah, really? You know, I, mean, I think every day – if I was honest, every single thing that I've done in the day that is unhealthy, that's sinful, results right back to this point. Was it me or was it we? You know, was it was it me on my own trying to do something or was it we, me and Jesus? Because anytime I have a problem, the answer is always me. I can never go, oh, yeah, when I made that hugely uh, sinful life, lifestyle choice or when I made that terrible decision, it wasn't Jesus leading me to do that. <laughs> it was me on my own completely forgetting that. He dwells me and and and, and gives me um, guidance and 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 directs me and pushes me in, in certain directions and so I think that for me is is the thing. So it's not that people aren't good; it's that people have no way to walk in that goodness until they realize that that they have the opportunity to walk with Jesus. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. Absolutely. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to decide if I agree with you now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'd like to I'd like to add something to that if I could. I think Please. I think Jesus himself called some people good and some people bad. I mean, he does it, it, talk about you know the good man from his good treasure. Well, why would Jesus call the man good if he? It, it seems a little inconsistent with what he says to the young rich the the rich young ruler. Um, but at the same time, if you look at his character, Jesus didn't really discriminate people at all. Uh, apart from the religious folks. So, you know, the same way if you put two boys in the backyard, uh, they might hit each other with bats. If you put two girls in a room full of dolls, they might throw a dress party together. Um, or, you know, you throw two boys in a, in a backyard and they might just jump on a trampoline and, you know, make up cool superhero names, right? <laughs> or they might, like, they might play cops and robbers and one might be the bad guy getting around, you know, chased around and getting shot with Nerf guns from his friend. I think that it's hard to make broad, to paint with broad strokes like that. Absolutely. Um, because it's not always that that way. And I think that there's a whole lot of things that sort of play into those things. Like, sure, kids aren't inherently like, here, have my cookie. Most of the time they're like, hey, give me that, right? But at the same time, they're on a journey of discovery, right? So when we're, when we're learning something, it's like, think about this way. How, when you're learning, like you understand, uh, and you hear a new theological idea, right? If you're like me, you hear a new theological idea, and you're like, well, that sounds interesting. Well, here I am on Amazon buying five books. I'm not calling <laughs> the guy I know who preaches it and saying, hey, can you tell me something? I'm like, I'm going to go, I'm going to 
go get it. But other people are like, well, hey, I'm, I'm interested in Calvinism. I'm going to call Kevin because I know he's a Calvinist, right? And see what I can get from Kevin to help me form my opinion. So I think that we – I think we have a hard time when we look at ourselves and say, well, this is how it is. Because if we look back at that Eden experience, God said very good. Like he, he created yeah. man and he said he was very good. And even after that, God – God pursued him. I think the hardest, the biggest disconnect for me in in that line of thinking is as soon as, like at the garden, we can all agree. But as soon as the garden, as soon as the tr- the apple's bitten, then it all goes off the rails because you know a lot of us will say, well, God kicked them out of the garden and separated himself, and now there's this separation between God and man. But God was still talking to Adam and Eve's kids. And he, yep. and he told and he told Cain before he killed Abel, like sin is crouching at the door. He didn't say you were born into it. He said it's an external force, and you have a choice whether or not to let it in. So I don't know that. I think that we shirk the responsibility of our own actions when when we take that mindset. I mean, humility is obviously part of the gospel. We humble ourselves; God will exalt us. But I don't think to say that people are good and God created us for a good purpose for his good pleasure and before the foundation of the world he predestined us to be sons and daughters and gave us freedom in his love for us to make the dumb choices we're going to make so we can realize hey I can't do this thing without him and from and, and from my own experience I'm like I, I tried to do it without him and it got me 15 years of shooting heroin and hanging out in the hood and destroying my life and you know I'm still years later repairing damage from that but now that I know that I can do it without them, I can help other people who don't know that they can find out that they, they can't do it without them, and he'll help them get into where he wants them, and you see those right. people transform. And it's not because they learned something new. It's because it was always there. They just didn't know it. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. See, yeah, and, and it's, it's definitely – it's a huge – Huge. I mean, any 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 honest conservative, right, would would admit that it's 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 a huge um, dichotomy that we kind of have to live with. This idea of like we have a sovereign God, and yet we are also responsible for our own sin. Because then you're getting into like, okay, well then what's the what's the nature? Like, where sin come from? Right? Is is sin? Which will say no, it can't be. But the way you think, everything is God ordained. Well, okay, yeah. So it is. It's 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 one of those tensions that we kind of have to live in. For us, I mean, the the best way that it was ever explained to me is you stand on, um, you stand on, and it's this is Trans Canada. You stand on like like the Trans Canada Railway in Saskatchewan. So it's flat, it's long. All you can see is to the horizon. You've got one foot on one rail you get the other foot on the other rail and the one foot is got sovereignty the other foot is um human responsibility free will however you want to phrase that and then they're separate they're apart they you know the two will never come together if they do your whole train falls off the, the falls off the, the rails completely but if you if you look at the horizon if you look at eternity you'll see those two rails gradually coming together and getting closer and i think that's kind of where it starts to make sense. It's not, it doesn't make sense for us now. We kind of have to live in that tension. But when we get to eternity, when we get to that horizon, it'll click. 
either it'll click because it'll click because we'll have we'll have new bodies and that'll make all the sense or it'll click because the lord will explain it to us or we just won't care anymore it just it won't matter anymore because we're we're in the throne room with the lord worshiping and that's like a lot of ends up being a little bit academic because we're saying very similar things we're just saying differently and the application is a little bit different so i think it's it's just it's learning and me my my tribe has done a horrible job of this and i'll be the first to admit that um it's learning that we need to like live together and understand that yeah we're brothers in 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 this we're together in this we we need to get this message this good news out there to people who don't know it who can't yet live in that in that confidence that you know what we are horrible but god fixed it yeah God fixed it for us so i think i think yeah a, a lot of it just boils down to to being academic and we just need to like okay let's just do this together yeah i think that's um one thing i would say is um we could learn a lot from our uh, predecessors as christians you know when we look at how the jewish uh people approached the the torah and then they read the talmud and you know these areas you know they didn't read the the scriptures systematically they read it organically um and so they didn't have a you know line upon line precept upon precept you know they didn't have a wayne gruden systematic theology book that you just study and you memorize and now you understand god or you know you understand all the principles of life and um and i'm, I'm kind of joking in that but that's kind of what we want right we want the answer book to the bible you know we want the the companion that we read that just tells us how to believe it um and yet the jews just didn't approach the scriptures that way and and i loved like in the in the training to become a rabbi um you you would um eventually have your 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 set of beliefs that you would teach as a rabbi that you would take someone under your wing and you would um teach them what you believe but for you to have a belief on any scripture um before you could um be a proponent for your belief of a scripture for your interpretation of the scripture you had to be able to articulate at least seven other beliefs and so you had to go and search out other rabbis you had to go into the synagogues you had to travel you had to go and meet with other people and go what do you think about what isaiah says here what do you think about when jeremiah says god doesn't want sacrifice i mean there's sacrifice all the way through the bible and god seems to want to initiate it but jeremiah says god doesn't want sacrifice and that kind of ties in with what david says where he says he doesn't want sacrifice he wants obedience but i don't understand and 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 by the time you could articulate seven different beliefs you were then entitled to have your own belief your own interpretation and you know for me that creates a, a lot of problems in a systematic um, there is a black and white way to approach this 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 text and 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 these um, encounters and stories and histories and all these different things that God gives us in the scriptures these songs these proverbs um, and I love that about the Judea, Jewish um, uh, approach and actually you know what that set of interpretations what a, a Jewish rabbi would come up with and then it would be that's my interpretations that was called their yoke and I think a lot of people miss that when Jesus says my yoke is easy and my burden is light he's not talking about you know this, the things I'm going to give in one sense he is but it's, it's a lot less about like you know an oxen or anything like that. that's the analogy and that was the analogy for um, the the yoke that rabbis would give you but it 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 it, 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 um, it uh, represents what Jesus is saying of my interpretation of the Torah, the way that I approach the scriptures and the way that I approach God and our tradition and our faith is going to be light and easy. That's what I'm bringing to you. Um, and I, I love that. And that's why you don't see they weren't stoning Jesus over his um, theology in the sense of like, hey, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, which is in the Bible. And I'm saying something different um, because that was OK in Jewish culture. 
you know, Jeremiah did the same with sacrifice, or you know, um, Hosea did the same with sacrifice, or different things. So they constantly um, were challenging what the prophets had said in the past and what the scriptures were saying. Did we really interpret it right? Maybe we should interpret it this way. Um, that was part of the Jewish culture, and I think if we brought that to the table as Christians, which is frankly what we're doing, we're just not able to get along with the other people that come to a different conclusion. So uh, the Catholics can't get on with the Greek Orthodox, who can't get on with the Protestants, who can't get along with themselves, you know, and. Um, I think that would um, open up what we're discussing here uh, as, as just a healthy forum for us to learn and grow, because the truth is none of us have it whole cloth. None of us have it right. We're all being subjective and biased in our approach, um, and we're never going to learn until we talk to people that are approaching Scripture with a different bias. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I like to rant. You, you don't even have to ask me a question. I'll talk for an hour. <laughs> it's because I've not been traveling. That's the problem. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I I think one of the things that um that that Kevin hit on that I want maybe to throw back to to Kevin a little bit and his camera's off so he might be angry right now we're not sure. Ooh. Um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So I'm good. No, I was I was I was I was, was going to say one of my favorite things to like to like think about and I, I used to preach this and I I, I preached in a really uh, it was a really conservative kind of farm town rural church. Um, I used to say this and watch everyone else's faces get red. I can't wait till we get to the kingdom and we see uh, Methodists and we see uh, Presbyterians and we see Lutherans and we see the wrong kind of Lutherans and we see the other kind of Baptists. And then, like, I'm looking forward to, like, the debrief when we get okay. The Baptists (laughs) were right about baptism because we are. Uh, The Methodists were right about this. The Presbyterians (laughs) had this right. Like, I'm looking forward to kind of seeing where we were right and where we were wrong. And that's just like, not to rub it in on, on anyone, but just kind of like, Oh, that's good to know now. <laughs> you know. But right. So, you know, I'm, I'm not red faced at all. I, I, yeah. I think it's, yeah. Awesome. So I, I want to ask this question to you, Kevin, from your perspective, because I think that it's the natural question that comes to mind is it, when we talk about the sovereignty of God and maybe Phil can kind of touch on this after you, um, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, is God so sovereign that he needs to determine everything that's going to take place in order to see his purposes come to pass? Or would sovereignty be more on display when God can give people freedom to move within creation and trust that his, his, his end goal is still going to come to pass? I don't think you need to make that separation, really. Because, I mean, if God wanted to move my right arm right now, he'd move my right arm. He's got that authority. He's got that power. He's he's potter. I'm clay. If he wants me to, like, levitate in the air, he, he, he can do that. But I think he suspends his sovereignty. Not that he doesn't have it. He just doesn't always use it. Like, he lets us sin. He lets us screw up. He lets us do these things just because – just because they're, we're doing them doesn't mean he's ordaining every little iota of of, of life. I mean, I mean that's, I mean this is my humanness trying to understand the Lord, but that would seem to be very boring to me. You know, I mean he he created this not because he wanted, not 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 because he wanted companions to live with. I mean he's complete in and of himself by himself, but he created humans for a reason. Um, and, and, and I don't think that he really necessarily wanted to create a galactical puppet show, you know, I mean, it's, it's, we're not, we're not robots. So, I mean, 
there's there's some way in that creating us brings him more glory than not creating us and i'm not quite sure what that is yet and maybe i'll i won't be um this side of eternity but i don't i don't think you necessarily need to like delineate sovereignty into those okay categories you can just say yeah god's birth so you got anything you want to add to that um I find the the whole thing kind of funny, uh, you know. I, um, I think free will, sovereignty, uh, it's an interesting argument for me because I don't see the difference. And actually, I genuinely have been struggling. This is probably one of the areas I've been struggling with for probably about three or four years, and and it's one that possibly pushes me towards open theism. Is I don't see the difference between free will and um, predestination in the, the sense that. Or, or this absolute sovereignty where God knows everything and, and has kind of beforehand preordained how everything will plan out. And he gives us free will, but like, you know, he knows what it is. And then free will, with the free will camp, they still think that God knows everything that's going to happen. And so if God knows that, um, okay, little Timmy, he's going to pick to go to heaven, but Sheila, she's going to pick to go to hell. How is it that God doesn't just go, maybe I'll just make Sheila a little bit more open to spiritual stuff. Maybe I'll make her eight percent more less stubborn uh maybe i'll put her in a christian family instead of a a divorced split family where they don't know god or maybe i won't make her be born in iraq during the u.s invasion in the name of god um you know like these are maybe things i should do that would make her less likely to turn her back on me Um, and so for some reason i i I still don't really understand how people use free will and yet have an absolute um God that that is um, fully aware of everyone's decisions and all that different stuff. Um, this is me opening up a whole other can of worms. Um, sure. But um, I, I don't see how it's that different. It still feels, and and that's why I, you know, like um, Kevin said in reply, like you know, it, it's not. I don't. I don't necessarily see how they're incompatible because I think both parties are basically saying the same thing. They're just trying to weaken one part of the argument a little bit more than the other. Um, and they're going, well, yeah, but so he's absolute, but yeah, he kind of gives a little leeway here. And the other one's saying, well, yeah, but I guess he does actually know and kind of on some level predestinate whether he's consciously or we're allowing it to be a conscious predestination or whether it just is he knows it and he's given us free will, but he kind of knows what we're going to pick anyway. Um, and what I like about open theism is is the more I just I, I kind of look into it, and I've not read a huge amount um, on, on the topic. Um, I, it in some level makes God more powerful, yep. more sovereign, and yet gives people absolute free reign. And uh, and that to me just it answers a lot of questions. It gives power to my prayers. It gives significance to my day-to-day life. But probably the most important thing I think it does is it puts God right here, right now, in the mix of it. And all of a sudden the scriptures about God getting excited, sad, disappointed, um, you know, all these angry, you know, all these emotions that you can't really have if you're having a puppet show. You know, I mean, that would be a really weird thing to see a puppet guy doing a show and then get really, really mad that one of the puppets said this or, you know, or did that <laughs> uh, or really excited that the other puppet did this. And and I, and I love the concept of God being in. And it's not that he knows less. It's not that he doesn't have foreknowledge. He knows everything that's about to come. He He just also knows everything that isn't to come as well. And so then when we choose the thing it is to come, that's what is brought into the forefront. And so it's like um, – uh, just in case, you know, maybe listeners don't have a, an idea of what open theism is. It's, it's much like a chess player, you know. If, if I'm playing chess with you, um, I know what I'm going to move. 
but the person opposite me doesn't. They just know that there's a certain amount of possibilities. And when I move that position, now they know, oh, that was the, po the possibility he chose. And I now know, because I moved this part, it's very likely they're to do this, this, or this. But there's actually about 300 different moves that they can make. Um, and then you go back and go, well, if they choose this, this, or this, it's most likely that I'll probably do this, this. Or... And back and forward, the possibilities get kind of a bit unfathomable. And I think this is what people do when they, they hear the concept of open theism is they panic because they go, I can't fathom that many choices. It just seems uncontrollable. And for God not to know what we're going to do seems terrifying. But with a God who is finite, uh, who is infinite, who is just astronomical, he has... Um, it, we can basically say that he has spent eternity thinking about every option. So when you choose the unexpected, when God goes, oh, my gosh, I'm surprised you did that or I'm disappointed you did that, it doesn't on any level change God's capacity to bring about his purposes. He just goes, oh, well, now hopefully you just make this choice. <laughs> or if you choose that choice, I'm going to have to make uh, you know inspire you, direct you, whatever. And, and it's also thought that he doesn't know everything. Like certain things he chooses to know and to predestine and to and to make come about. All people will um, you know um, have the opportunity to be saved through Jesus. Or, you know, my will will come about in the end times. Whatever it looks like, you know. Um, but I, I think it's an interesting possibility. I'm not saying I, I hold to it, but I think it brings a, an interesting dynamic to the table that isn't there in a traditional Arminian Calvinistic argument um, and actually kind of complements both, um, I believe. I don't mind admitting that I'm an open theist, so I'll sell myself out a little bit. But a great book on the subject is Greg Boyd's God of the Possible. It really it's fantastic. Thing. It's really Although, it's a phenomenal. You know what's funny about that book is that he starts it right in the introduction. He goes, you know, a lot of theologians are going to be really annoyed because I'm going to like dumb down such a complex t topic. I'm like one chapter in, and I'm like, I am so stupid because I'm still <laughs> confused. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> only Greg can make you feel like that. The yeah. guy is smart. <laughs> so all right, so I'm going to throw this question at both of you guys. I'll, I'll let I'll let Phil go first. What is the gospel? That's it. Nothing else. What's the gospel? The gospel is that whatever we have done in Adam, Jesus has done more. That's how I'd sum it up. All right. That was, that was a quicker answer than I expected. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I entirely think it sums up everything, but there you go. That's my quick answer to what is the gospel. Uh, I probably wouldn't present that to a non-believer, but so all right. So how? Uh, let me let me add to, to that then. What is the gospel from that context? If you're talking to an unbeliever, and what's the gospel? God loves you. He delights in you. He has forgiven you. He accepts you wholeheartedly who you are. He cannot wait for you to join him in the journey he's walking alongside you in. Um, you might as well make the choice now. Get on board. That's good. <laughs> um, I like that. <laughs> All right. So, so Kevin, wh when you're communicating the gospel to uh, an unbeliever, wh what is the gospel? Uh, mine's even shorter, even shorter than than Phil's. Actually, I just um, I just say like we suck and Jesus fixes it. Like, and, like I don't I, I don't say that to try and be curt, right? Because it, it is it's it's like a really kind of like you're not expecting that from a guy who, who is a pastor. But like it, 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 that's it's it, it's at you know how Christ um, 
answered the question, you know, how do I, you know, how, how do I enter in life? And he, he, he never had a pat answer. It was always mm-hmm. tuned to that person. It was always like, this is, this is what you need to do because this is where you are in your journey. Um, so for me, I, I, I kind of, like someone asked to say, like, what, okay, what is this gospel you talk about? What the heck are you talking about? It's, it's we suck and Jesus fixes it. And then that kicks off the conversation. Well, okay, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by we suck or what do you mean by Jesus fixes it? So it's, yeah, like the gospels, I, I, I use five words. I, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Both, yeah. both, both, both contexts, both with Christians and with non-Christians as well. Awesome. <laughs> I like to keep it simple. <clears throat> I, 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 I come from the, the aspect of, you know, before you knew it, anything, God knew you. And somewhere along the way, we lost our knowledge of him and his desire is to give you that knowledge back and to know that he's good and that he loves you and he desires to have you in his family, to walk through life with him, not just to get to heaven one day, but to live life to its fullest here and now and bring a little piece of heaven to your life and to the people around you. And, you know, I like that. You might as well just say yes now. Amen. <laughs> it's a good pitch. Preach it, bro. <laughs> so, all right. So, <clears throat> I I want to give <clears throat> both of you guys this last thing. Here's where we'll land the plane. If you could offer one solution to what you see going on in, in the church, right? good, bad, or indifferent, if you could offer one thing that you would like to see throughout the church universal that you believe would make it a little bit closer to what God wants it to be, what would it be? You want to go first? Oh, after you. All right. Um, I think we both touched on it a little bit. Um and, and the phrase, I mean, we, we use this phrase in, in Bible college all the time, take off the stained glass mask. You know, like, you're in church, you know, how are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks. God is good. God all the time. You know, it's it's okay to lament. I mean, two-thirds of the Psalms are lament, for Pete's sake. There's a book called Lamentations. Like, it's, it's okay to not be okay, you know? So that's, I think... It, I think Canadian Wi-Fi stinks. If, if if I could change one thing, it's okay to struggle. It's say, look, I've had we and I'm and I'm doubting my marriage. It's it's you know, and I need you to pray for me or I need you to hug me. Like it's it's okay to not be okay. That's that's if I could change one thing, man, that would be it. <laughs> that and that's and and it, you broke up a little bit, but the heart of what you were saying, you got, and I just I love that because that's and that's Good. right on board. With I'm sure all three of us can agree on that. Maybe God predestined us to agree that. <laughs> There you go. Of course he did. Of course he did. He wanted to bring this podcast together. (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, I I think that's amazing. I think, you know, we are called to suffer with one another and and to come alongside. And and, and I think there's a reality that we kind of gloss over a lot of times in the church of that. Um, I think for me, I want to see the breakdown of the divide of us and them. Um, and I think that's huge within the church. I think it's huge outside of the church as well. I think we have it be it based on denomination. We have it based on um, our age bracket. We have it based on our pay grade. We have it based on our race. We have it based on our nationality. You name it. 
we have an us and them, and I think um, we really need to see each other as children of God. We really need to see each other as brothers and sisters, or depending on your theology, at least potential brothers and sisters. And, and you know, it's really um, – it's maybe really easy for us to bomb another country um, when they're off there somewhere else. They, they're not Christian. They don't look like us. They don't sound like us. They don't speak like us. They don't think like us. But when you suddenly turn them into your brothers and your sisters – and you say, this is actually on par with me bombing the city that's down the road, it becomes really unpalatable. Um, you know, when we have that horrendously um, intolerant conversation with another believer because they're from another background and they're in another country, I don't really care, they're online, you know, they're not going to really um, do anything. We just wouldn't have that conversation face-to-face with someone else, you know, it just wouldn't happen. And I think there's a, there's a consistent line that we love to draw that says, I am over here and you are over there. And therefore there's this divide. And I think that's just not what we're called to be. We're called to be one. We're called to be um, in unity and to the best of our um, ability based on our theology and our beliefs. I want to see that become as wholly encompassing as possible. You know, Jesus did this consistently. He consistently, you know, a lot of people get scared by the word inclusive, so I'll use the word expansive. Um, Jesus um, it, it constantly came across people that weren't included, and he expanded the box. He expanded the circle, and, and, and I don't think there is a box or circle with Jesus, but he's consistently expanding other people's concepts of what the box and circle is. And so, you know, someone comes along and it's like, there's no way he's going to accept this person. There's no way he's not going to say something to this person. Or there's no way he's not going to call them out for this or whatever. And, and he does. He calls people out. He does things. But he's consistently expanding and expanding to say, hey, guess what? You're into. Guess what? You're invited to. Guess what? You're you're part of my family too. Um, and I'd love to see that become a part of um, what the Christians are known for. What would it be like if we were known for that? I mean, it would just be beautiful. Oh, man, it would be. It's oh, yeah. probably a Bible verse for that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple, yeah, I think. I think maybe. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, that's where we're going to wrap it up. I'm going to – I want you guys to hang out for a second, but uh, I'm going to land the plane and then we'll cut the recording. So, Phil, thanks so much, man, for taking the time to chat with us from across the pond. Kevin, thank, thank you for teaching us that Canadian Wi-Fi sucks. Um, and, and, and Calvinists are pretty cool, despite their poor theology. No, I'm just kidding. But God preordained you to have bad internet. I'm... I'm, I'm really glad that we could have a, a fun discussion and have a good time. And ultimately, the goal of this podcast is to bring to, together as many voices as we can. And a lot of times we get to talk to people and and have just kind of one view. So I appreciate your, your willingness, Phil and Kevin, to, to come on and kind of present different views and, and flesh those things out. I think that's really, really cool, and it really speaks to what we're trying to do, not just at the Alliance podcast, but at Bold Cup of Coffee um, as a whole, is really say, like, it's okay to disagree and still love each other. We can have honest and healthy dialogue in a way that makes my view important and yours. And uh, and that's just, I think we really hit the nail on the head today. So I want to thank you guys for that. That was super cool. So you guys can check out Phil Drysdale at phildrysdale.com. You can check out Kevin at Bold Cup of Coffee. His articles do not depend on Canadian Wi-Fi, so you should be able to read them just fine. (laughs) Thanks for listening, guys. Well, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Phil Drysdale. It was really a blessing to talk to Phil 
I want to give a shout-out to our buddy Kevin Seguin from Bold Cup of Coffee for joining us on this one. You can check him out at boldcupofcoffee.com. Um, you can check Ken Boone, my partner in crime, the other half of this dynamic duo at newbreedministries.org, and you can find him on Facebook as well. Also be sure to check out Anthony's new book, Sink or Swim. You can find that at Amazon, Kindle, or Barnes & Noble, and find Anthony on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Anthony C. Portillo. Be sure to check out our friends at boldcupofcoffee.com. Have a slew of articles, interviews, and videos for your enjoyment. We hope to start a conversation. For the Alliance Podcast, I'm Anthony Portillo. And I'm Ken Thanks for listening.